I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. One day and night must scramble for a living Feed a wife and children Send his daily press Hello everyone and welcome to Let's Talk Torah I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with New Radio Media And we'll spend the next hour talking Torah, learning stuff and having fun while we learn If you'd like to call the show, 844-999-9249 That's 844-999-9249 Or you can email us at Let's Talk Torah, no apostrophes, Let's Talk Torah at gmail.com. Lots of new people, lots of old, friendly faces. R.D., how are you today? I am doing well, Svi. How are you? It is good to see you and the baseball cap. Not yes. that I know what any of that stands for. It's all right. It's just Mario. Oh, okay. You know? Mario, I know. Yeah. That's the cars and the guys, the yeah. spaghetti. Yeah, sort of. Okay. That's... Yeah, Nintendo. <laughs> Nintendo, that's Nintendo. It. Very good. So we just... Uh, we're just wrapping up. We're in the middle of the high holidays. Um, earlier this week was Rosh Hashanah, the new year, 5779. Happy birthday to the world. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. It was beautiful. Um, it was actually, the family was great. My mother came to hang out with us for a couple of days. She had a great time. She got to hear me pray, got to hear me blow my chauffeur. We had a really, really good time. She had a good time with the kids. It was beautiful. And it actually worked out really good. Somebody sent me one of these, um, I guess on LinkedIn, one of these video clips, a great story. I don't know if you saw this, R.D. Um, you need really subtitles because I guess whoever put the, the clip together was in, I don't know what language. Okay. Japanese, uh, Vietnamese, I don't know. But anyways, so you have a girl sitting there on a computer and a man sits next to her. Mm-hmm. And the man is asking her how to send a picture on his phone. Okay. Whichever phone it was. And she explains it very clearly, and he tries. She goes back to work on her computer, and he tries. doesn't work. He says, mm-hmm. can you help me again? And she shows him again. By the third time, mm-hmm. she says, Dad, I showed you already three times. I don't have time. I'm very, very busy. <laughs> Anyways, a few minutes later, mm-hmm. her phone dings. So, of course, <laughs> she picks it up, and there's a picture of her and her father. So she says to her father, who's sitting next to her, mm-hmm. um, she says, what's this a picture from? So he says, this is when you learned to ride a bicycle. So he said, oh, I remember. I was so stubborn. And the father says, yes, you were. You tried again and again, and I told you I was very busy, and I had a lot of work to do, and you didn't let me go. You said, you must help me. You must help. And uh, so I think the daughter got the picture right. and figured it out. Okay. <laughs> there we go. One day we're going to get those those uh, those little sounds. Whatever it's a rim those. shot. Rim shots. That's it. Very good. Yep. Lots of topics today. Of course, Yom Kippur is coming. We must touch on Yom Kippur. Um, the laws, prayers. Is it a happy day? Is it a sad day? Um, we just had a fast day yesterday, actually, we'll touch on, called Tzom Gedalia. Not as well known. Um, we have a special guest coming in our next segment. His name is uh, Joe Sabrin. Wrote a very interesting book. 
Uh, actually, he didn't write it. It's actually a memoir. So we're going to talk about that. We'll see uh, how much he can share on the partisans. Very interesting stuff. Of course, we have our segment at the end with Rabbi Jonas and Goldson this week. He took off last week. I told him can't have off two weeks in a row. He'll be joining us along with, if we have time, some trending news, our word of the week, all kinds of good stuff. So um, let's start with yesterday. Yesterday is the day after Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is two days. I know Reform only have one day. Orthodox and Conservative will have two days of Rosh Hashanah. Why there's two days um, goes way back to the time of the Talmud when the courts had to declare the new moon and the new month. That's way too complicated for today. But um, the next day, what will be the third day of the month, um, has a title called Tzom. Tzom means a fast day of a man by the name of Gedalia. Who was Gedalia? And when did Gedalia live? All very good questions. I'm so glad everybody out there wanted to know. Um, in any case, um, Gedalia lives at the time right after the destruction of the first temple. So a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, his Babylonian army destroys the first temple. But now, and he takes the Jews out into exile to Babylonia, but you cannot leave a country empty. If you empty out the country, you will destroy the land, you'll have swamps, you'll have deserts, all the houses will crumble in no time. Animals, wild, all over the place. So he had this person, Gedalia, I guess he was an important person, certainly was a very righteous man, and he was left in charge to oversee the country to make sure the country doesn't fall into a disrepair. That was his job. And I don't know how many people, probably had a few thousand people to help him, And that was his job. There was a man by the name of Yishmael. Um, Yishmael ben Achikam. No, it's Gedai ben Achikam. Yishmael ben Neria, I believe. He felt, I guess this was a common thing in those days, some monstrous army comes, overruns your country, takes over, exiles everybody, and now that he leaves, some people want to rebel. Now, you didn't do well when you had your whole country there. So what exactly are you planning now that there's only a handful of you? But this, Yishmael said to Gedalia, we're going to rebel. We're not going to pay taxes. Let him bring his army back. And Gedalia understood the lay of the land. And he said, you're a fool. Now is not the time. We're not rebelling. So this Yishmael was not happy. And he decided he was going to assassinate this Gedalia so he could have his rebellion. Gedalia got wind of it. But this Gedalia, I told you, was a very, very righteous man. But um, he, in the nicest way possible, he misunderstood a certain law. You know, there's something called slander. We've spoken about it, Lashon Hara, gossip, um, stuff like that. So the rule is like this. If somebody tells me about someone else, slanders someone, gossips about someone... Really, my first job is not to believe what I'm told. And with the things in the news nowadays, it's not so hard to figure out that uh, maybe you shouldn't always listen and believe everything you're told. Mm -hmm. However, just because I'm not supposed to believe it doesn't mean I should be a fool and not at least worry about it. So when Gedalia was told that this Yishmael was planning to assassinate him, You don't want to believe, you want to believe he's a great guy, go right ahead. But at least be aware. 
at least figure, just in case, let me prepare myself, have an extra guard, watch my food, keep this shishmal on the other end of the table. I mean, at least, at least prepare yourself. But he looked at the law as not believing, as completely not believing. And therefore, he was assassinated. Mm-hmm. It is debatable if he was assassinated on Rosh Hashanah itself, mm-hmm. but we're not going to make a fast day then, so we pushed it off a day. Or he was actually assassinated uh, yesterday, the third day of Tishrei. That's the debate. And of course, like, I mean, people don't think things through usually. After they assassinate Gedalia, they say, hey, wait. Nebuchadnezzar is going to be really mad that we assassinated um, his man in charge of the land here. He's going to come and kill us. We better run. Mm -hmm. So they all fled. So much for the rebellion. No Jews left in the land of Israel. Now, there's a famous prophecy. There was a prophecy by Jeremiah that for 70 years, the land would be empty. We'd be out of the land. The land would be empty. So actually, for the next 54 years from this Gedalia, there are no people in the land. There's, believe it or not, there's no animals in the land. The land oh, wow. is completely empty. Then it seems people started coming back slowly but surely. Then we get into other stories. You start getting into the Purim story and Achashverosh and, and Koresh and Daryavish. Different, uh, they have funny spellings in English. Zirzis, I don't know how you pronounce the names. Um, but uh, we started coming back. We finally got permission to come back. We started building the temple. It was put on hold. Then we got full permission to build the temple. So that's all happening later. But because this Gedalia was assassinated and two things, he's a fantastically righteous man, so that alone is a good reason to fast. When we fast, it's really a way of, of praying and repenting. That's really the idea behind fasting, not just to suffer that there's no point. And this is really, you know, we always talk about the beginning of the end. This is really the end. This is the final I guess we'll say nail in the coffin. I'm not sure if that's the best word to use, but that's the uh, nail in the coffin to say the first destruction is complete because now there's no Jews left in the land. We've all been thrown out. So that is why we fast on this third day of Tishrei. That would have been yesterday. I mean, it's interesting. You know, children, they don't start fasting till girls 12 years old, boys 13 years old. Right. Children have a hard time. But as we get older, and we, for those who listened last week and we're trying to work on our weight, especially after two days of really fantastic food. Mm-hmm. See, I don't know if you listened last week, R.D., but mm. um, we had this guy, Mike Gruel, on. Mm-hmm. So we talked about healthy eating, and he gave me permission to go off my diet for two days. Oh. Fantastic. Gained three pounds, no problem. Nice. So you took him up on that offer. Oh, major. Of course. Oh, big time. Nice. And then, yeah, so we got... Um, but yes, it's a fast day if you don't overdo it last night. So I lost about a pound and a half back. I still need a few days to, to work out the extra weight from the holidays, but it was all worth it. Yep. Great food. So, so, yeah, as he says in his book, for those who picked it up, um, you only live once, mm-hmm. but, you do, but you want to live. So mm-hmm. we got to eat healthy to live, but you only live once. So at least uh, enjoy yourself while you're at it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we're now heading towards the holiest day in the calendar, in the Jewish calendar. That is the day called Yom Kippur, or in English it's called the Day of Atonement, where we started our preparations on Rosh Hashanah. We've declared God is king. We've blown our shofar, which is, again, symbolic of, uh, of uh, proclaiming a king. 
and it, it, it's really, it builds to a crescendo. In other words, we have all these days extra prayers. Um, everyone's like on best behavior, which is always a nice thing. Getting ready for that final day where God says, last chance. Last chance, you want to repent. I will accept your repentance if it's heartfelt, if you mean it, if you believe it. Um, some say it doesn't have to be, I mean, again, each to his own, but the more real the repentance, the more accepted, the more clean the slate. But even a little bit, a little bit cleaning is also good. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we go to parents and we say we're not going to do it again. We mean we're not going to do it again. I mean, I don't know. My kid came home yesterday. The principal was subbing his class. So I don't know what he did wrong. But he's busy arguing with me like he, it wasn't his fault. I said, it was the principal who threw you out. Like, like just just write whatever he told you to write 50 times, and I'll sign it. And at least sometimes be smart enough to know that you got you to gotta believe it a little bit. So that's, that's Yom Kippur. We're getting ready for this day where we're going to ask God for forgiveness, and we do it over and over and over. A lot of the words are r- repetitive, the same style of asking for forgiveness, and we do it at night, we get to the next morning, and then the afternoon, and late afternoon. But each time, the more you do it, the more you believe it, the more you feel it, and it's, it's powerful. It's important, and it's really, really powerful. But we're asking God for forgiveness. There's really two parts, by the way, to forgiveness. There's if I do something wrong between me and God. I didn't keep Sabbath properly, didn't keep kosher, didn't do on the holidays what I was supposed to, that kind of sin. So that, that's between me and God. God, I'm sorry. I'm not going to do it again. I'm going to be more careful next time. I'll really be good. That's great. That's between me and God. But when it comes, when I do something wrong to my friend, I insulted him. I made him feel bad. I slandered. I, I took advantage of him uh, in business. I took advantage of him in other ways. That kind of stuff between a fellow, your, your friend, your fellow man, that you could cry all day long. You could have the biggest tears and you could feel the greatest remorse. But if you don't ask your friend to forgive you, it's worthless. The only way God will even talk to you when there's a sin between you and your friend is to ask him, say, I did something wrong. Please forgive me. And again, if you mean it, most people are understanding. You ask me for forgiveness, and I believe you mean it. It's not just like a game. Oh, you forgive me, you forgive me, I forgive you, you forgive me. You know, I always used to have with my parents, it was like mm-hmm. fascinating. Unfortunately, this year I can't ask my father, but my mother. Um, I'd say to my father, oh, you forgive me? And he always said the same thing. For what? You don't do anything to me. And I live 650 miles away. Like, what could I do already? Mm-hmm. I say, and I, it was always the same conversation. And I said, Dad, you're right. Um, I, you didn't, I, maybe I didn't do anything, but I have to ask and I need you to say that you forgive me, right? Mm-hmm. That's like, well, part of it. Yes, of course. And, and then he'll go back to me. Do you forgive me? And I said, come on, what can a son do to a father? Of course a son forgives a father. Like we played the game, but it's all part of the give and take on the day before Yom Kippur, where we're trying to bring up the level of peace, friendship, togetherness. It becomes a very spiritual wonderful time because people become better. You do care. We all care. We're just the whole year. We're so busy with stuff. We, we don't have time to think about other people the way we should be thinking about other people. But um, 
But uh, this gives us the opportunity. This is what we're trying to do. This is what we're working on with our friends. And, uh, and yeah, and we do ask our friends. There are people that they go searching for people. Somebody told me um, the other day he got an envelope from some girl. It was like a funny story, but at least it, it showed the idea. It seems when they were teenagers, they went on a trip, and this girl must have fallen and scraped her leg. She ruined the whole trip. I don't know exactly the whole story. So this is like 50 years later mm-hmm. that she's going ahead, and she's, um, she's sending an envelope to say, I hope you forgive me that I ruined your trip 50 years ago, right? You're talking about two adults that when they were teenagers, mm-hmm. she messed up a trip, <laughs> and she put $200 bills in the, in the envelope. Now, again... When you're a kid, you ruin my trip and you hand me $100. Like, <laughs> okay, you didn't ruin my trip anymore. You covered the whole problem. Right. But, you know, 50 years later, mm-hmm. like, I need your $100. I need your $200. Yeah. Where's but it, the interest? Yeah. <laughs> that for sure. I, I, obviously, it was just her thought. She wanted to, to, um, to feel, to ask for something she had done wrong way back. And I guess just the note, I feel bad I ruined your trip 50 years ago, wouldn't really... <laughs> wouldn't really cut it. So by putting money in the envelope, so she showed that she really, really cared. Okay, while I have, I don't know how much time I have over here, I don't got my clock, but we're, we got one minute. So in one minute, before we get to our coming up guest, a few quick laws about Yom Kippur. On Yom Kippur, we're not eating, we're not drinking. So it's 25, really, 24, 25 hours. No food, no drink. No brushing your teeth. Okay, that's because no eating, no putting food in your mouth. We're not going to wear leather shoes. The only leather is a problem on shoes and sneakers and stuff. You know, they wear the Crocs and stuff for the, the old Ked sneakers. Um, we're not going to smear any oils, any ointments, no smearing. We're not going to take a bath. We're not going to take a shower. Mm. Um, even washing our hands, if your hands get dirty, so the bare minimum, you could go ahead and, and rinse off your hands. But that's all part of, like, the suffering to show that I, I really, really care. Okay, I don't know why I don't hear my music coming on to tell oh. me I'm supposed to wrap up. I got to teach everybody new. But now comes my music. We're getting ready for a break. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Joe Sabrin, who uh, authored or wrote down the, his father's memoir, and We Dared to Live. So we're going to be right back, and we'll be with Joe Sabrin. So hold on and don't leave. It's a 54-hole golfing treasure located in the heart of Sterling Heights. Maple Lane Golf Club offers immaculate greens, a top-flight pro shop, and inexpensive green fees. For convenience, book your tee time online at maplelanegolf.com. Come out and enjoy a great golf experience. Try our Nine and Dine special, nine holes of golf, and enjoy food and refreshments in the Clubhouse Bistro. That's Maple Lane Golf Club in Sterling Heights. Check us out at maplelanegolf.com. Advertising your business these days can be challenging. Traditional radio and TV ads are expensive and, frankly, a bit of a crapshoot. Not to mention, the audience for over-the-air material is shrinking as more and more of us demand to see and hear what we want, when we want. Advertising on new radio media is a solution. With our live streaming programs that are also available on demand, your message is always ready when your customers are ready to watch and listen, all for a fraction of what you'd likely have been paying for other ads. NewRadioMedia.com. Call Buzz Van Houten at 248 939-9999 for more information. Hey you guys, it's Raphael of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Guess what? 
the only thing we can get down here in the sewer is Skatetainment Weekly on new radio media. Turtle power! Hi, I'm Art, and we're the crew at Tuffy Walled Lake. We've been in Walled Lake for 20 years, and through our knowledgeable staff and customer satisfaction, we've become quite the cornerstone in our community and to our discerning customers statewide. We know how important your vehicle is to you, and we take pride in our impeccable, affordable service, and we're trying to get you back on the road as quickly and safely as we possibly can. Please stop in and see why everybody comes from all over to get their car serviced at 784 North Pontiac Trail in Wald Lake. Because I'm all about that roach, about that roach, Hashanah. I'm all about that roach, about that roach, Hashanah. And we're back. And that song is much more fun to lead into Rosh Hashanah. And as we mentioned, we are joined by Joe Sabrin. I keep saying author of We Dare to Live, but certainly founder and president of We Dare to Live organization. Joe, how are you today? Marvelous, Rabbi. Marvelous. Now, where is that accent from Marvelous? Uh, well, I came to Manhattan in 1949 when I was almost seven. The Lower East Side? Yes. Fantastic. Okay, R.D., you don't know these people? Oh, no, I was talking to somebody in the studio <laughs> that, uh, you know, people that, that grew up listening to people talk from the Lower East Side have the best accent. Mm-hmm. It's just fantastic. Wow. Hey, so Joe, now it's before, a little Floridian. <laughs> uh, now it's Floridian. Yeah, now it's nice and warm. I, you know, I forgot to ask you, my son lives in North Miami Beach. Are you in that area? Okay. I'm about uh, an hour without traffic. Not bad. I can meet him. We can meet, we can meet halfway if you would like. Oh, you go study with him. He's a, he's a, he's a young whippersnapper, but he's great. You, you would enjoy him. Maybe we'll... Uh, I'll get you some info. You can call him one day when you're North Miami Beach. Have a good time with him. He also enjoys meeting people. So, Joe, before we get started, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are? I know you were born in Vilna. Just a little background information before we talk about the book. Um, I'm approaching my 76th birthday. I was born December 21st, 1942, in the the Vilna ghetto. Uh, I really don't know what happened. Uh, as a baby, uh, I do remember uh, post-war Germany, uh, and then in 1949 we came to uh, August uh, 6, 1949. We came to America. My, uh, you know, my my dad, my mom, and uh, my brother was born in a DP camp in uh, Germany, uh, and I evolved. Uh, you know, I, I was supposed to be an ordained rabbi, but I became a capitalist instead. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, I got that. Uh, well, they wouldn't give me the synagogue I wanted, so. <laughs> okay. Scholarship. This, I see, is going to be another story. Okay. Exactly. I, 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 was, I studied with a rabbi in East Asia, uh, the Rabbi Raskin. I think the family's now in Israel. I, I did Google them. I was trying to find them. Um, and then I uh, joined the Army to see the world because I didn't like college. Uh, I, I quickly... Realized I made a mistake, and it was the Cold War. There was nothing going on. I uh, got out to, to go back to college at 21, uh, and still there was nothing going on. So uh, it, it didn't intrigue me. So I decided to, uh, you know, work and uh, find a family that needed a, a son that didn't have, but I couldn't find that kind of family. Uh, and I evolved, and then my uh, one of my best men 
at my wedding, which will be 15, 50 years come Saturday. Amazing. Yeah, it's 50 years, uh, married to the same lady. She's lovely. Sandy, you know, Sandy Stone is her maiden name. Uh, we have t- two wonderful kids, uh, Benjamin, uh, I call him Benji still, and uh, he lives in Austin, Texas with two granddaughters. And my daughter lives in Fairfield, Connecticut. She's uh, 46, and I have a great-grandson uh, uh, who just turned uh, 14. He'll be, he'll be 14 end of the month. We went to his bar mitzvah last year. Oh, beautiful. And, you know, as I grew up, uh, I was getting bits and pieces about my dad. Uh, and I finally said to him at his 60th birthday, I said, here's a Yiddish typewriter, and if you don't start pecking away, uh, you know, my kids, my grandkids, your great-grandkids, you know, no one will know what you did because you did, you know, you did a lot. Yeah, that really is is one of the things that, um, and the book is called, by the way, We Dare to Live, A Tale of Courage and Survival, based on the memoir of Abrash. Is that how you pronounce his name? Abrash Shabrinsky. Right, so that's... But everyone, everyone called him Abe. Everyone called him uh, Abe. So this is, uh, uh, this is, it's a quick read, and it's a, it's a very easy read. Um, we're going to talk about, uh, I actually contacted you because you say you give it out to Baron Bat Mitzvah children, but, um, yes. so you gave your father, you write about it in the book, you gave your father a Yiddish typewriter, which is fascinating right. in and of itself, because right. many, and it's interesting, I'll call your father a survivor, but when people think of survivors, they're not going to think of what your father did. Most people think of survivors are people that went through the camps. Your father didn't go through the camps. No, no, he he had he had that premonition. You know, if, if you you know if you read through the you know the, the premonitions and he knew exactly that what he had to do and when he had to do it because he knew he was in danger. And the, ironically enough, I just connected with and I'm going to get the book uh, to. Alba Kovna's son, because he's mentioned, uh, his name is Michael, he lives in Jerusalem, and I just connected with a lady who is uh, the daughter of Isis Kowalski, she's in California, so I got her a copy of the book too, because they're all mentioned, I'm slowly but surely trying to get to, and ironically, one of his youngest fighters just passed away about two years ago in, uh, in Tel Aviv. Uh, I spoke to him on the phone when we were putting the book together, and uh, his comment was, no one trusted anyone with a gun except your father. We only trusted your father with a gun. Yeah, that we're going to get into. So as we're yeah. figuring out, so right. like, unfortunately, many survivors, or in your case, your father was uh, with the partisans, not that he didn't have his own right. suffering and stuff, which is in the book, but they, they didn't like to talk about it, right? That's You have all the stuff with the Holocaust centers, and they've done films and little films of people. So you gave your right. father this typewriter, and... And then he never gave you the manuscript. So how no, did you no. find all his written stuff? How did you find what happened? Well, when we sat Shiva for him, it'll be uh, your site is Saturday, actually, ironically, on my 50th birthday, on my 50th anniversary. Um, uh, it'll be 17 years. When we went to sat Shiva in between uh, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, there was one room in the house in Sayreville, New Jersey, that no one was allowed to go in, in there except me. That was my dad's room. So I looked in the closet, and I found his gray attaché case, and lo and behold, inside the gray attaché case was 195 typewritten pages in Yiddish. Wow. And, so, uh, and he was and holding it for you? My mother seen me find a, 
the the pages, she wouldn't have let me take them. So I got them to my car. Uh, it took about two and a half, three years to have it translated because, you know, Yiddish dialect is difficult depending on where you were. <laughs> right. Even in America, what happens with, for those who don't know, the Yiddish language is a is a German language that Jewish people took and destroyed the grammar. And then if sure. you were in Poland, you added Polish. If you were in Russia, right. you added Russian words. If you're in America, you add English words. So it becomes a funny language to find someone who knows how to translate it. Right. So you found someone to translate it. And At the Evo Institute, which is you know, which was started in Vilna. It's on uh, on West 16th Street. So I found the, the librarian there who, you know, he basically, you know, I paid him to do it, but he didn't even want to come forward to say that he did it. <laughs> Unbelievable. I gave him acknowledgement in the book, but he, you know, I even brought him a book after it was published. But, you know, he, he just did, for some reason, he just didn't, you know, maybe he was afraid of losing his job or, or whatever, which I doubt because the executive director, you know, uh, you know, commended us on uh, at the Evo Institute for doing this. I sent him a copy of the book as well. All right, so, so, with the- so you got the book. You have these manuscripts. They talk about your father's life during the war, and right. so, and now you got it printed. So, right, but let's, what, what did you want to accomplish? Or what do you want to accomplish? I mean, it's, again, it's an easy read. It's written very interesting right. because there's, there's the actual what's written, and then there's all these side, like, blurbs of Historical either detailed stuff. information that I guess your father didn't put in. So you put that in to make it understandable for the flow? What was that? Well, the writer that I hired, because, you know, I can edit, but I can't write. <laughs> Okay. Um, after I had it translated, Chris Moore basically said, you know, if, if, if we put this together based upon, you know, what you have translated, it, it, may, you know, it just won't flow because not everybody knows what was going on around him. So, we, you know, we, we, we put that in, which, is, which makes it more of a, just a, it, it, it's history rather than just about my father. Right, and that's what makes and, it so... I mean, compelling. I, I, I read it twice, actually, cause, uh, and yeah, I'm actually going to give it to my daughter. I'm still picking stuff up. <laughs> yeah, my daughter, I think, is doing a report in 12th grade on partisans. I said I have a great book for you. So let's exactly. take it slow. Um, what is a partisan? What were partisan they? Who were they? What is that? A partisan was a, you know, a term that was coined, I think, after, maybe even dur- during, uh, you know, the Nazi regime. It was... People like my father and his, you know, and his, you know, fighters, who basically said, "We're not going to go to slaughter." You know, you know, we're we're going to go into the woods, you know, hit and run. Uh, and they did. You know, they uh, they created a lot of damage. And I think the Russian army helped them a little bit too, because at the end of the book, uh, after the liberation, he was asked to do a mission for the Russian army, and he said, "If I go on this mission, my, you know, my." I will never see my wife and son ever again because I'm not going to come back alive. But I remember sure that part. Per- yeah, sure enough, the person that did did go didn't come back alive. Amazing. So, you know, so- you, you know it, it was his will. You know, it was the will of the partisans that basically, you know, the definition. If you know, I could probably Google it or you know go to into Wikipedia. Was you know, it was a band of people who wanted to make sure that you know. They survived, you know, or, you know, fought, fought and survived that 
they would disrupt whatever the Nazis, uh, you know, were doing. And uh, Joe, I, mean, I have to others too. I mean, it, Joe, I'm going to have to have you, know, you hold that thought because my music is on. So I'm coming to a break. Can you hold through okay. the break with us? You got it. Okay, so when we come back, we'll talk partisans. If there was anti-Semitism towards the partisans, we're with Joe Sabrin, who took care of the book, We Dared to Live. Hold on, and we're going to be right back. Terrific. Plus, the latest LiftMaster garage door openers and the toughest retractable screens on the market, all by the push of a button. Tarno Doors is celebrating its 50th year anniversary and is the recipient of the 2016 Subcontractor of the Year from the Home Builders Association. Tarno knows doors. Tarno knows doors. Hi, I'm Art, and we're the crew at Tuffy Walled Lake. We've been in Walled Lake for 20 years. And through our knowledgeable staff and customer satisfaction, we've become quite the cornerstone in our community and to our discerning customers statewide. We know how important your vehicle is to you, and we take pride in our impeccable, affordable service. And we're trying to get you back on the road as quickly and safely as we possibly can. Please stop in and see why everybody comes from all over to get their car serviced at 784 North Pontiac Trail in Wald Lake. Maple Lane Golf Club is a 54-hole golfing treasure located in the heart of Sterling Heights. Maple Lane Golf Club offers immaculate greens, a top-flight pro shop, and inexpensive green fees. For convenience, book your tee time online at maplelanegolf.com. Come out and enjoy a great golf experience. Try our 9 and Dine special, 9 holes of golf, and enjoy food and refreshments in the Clubhouse Bistro. That's Maple Lane Golf Club in Sterling Heights. Check us out at maplelanegolf.com. Hi, I'm Andy. And I'm David. Join us for fun and adventure on our new show, Podquesters, where we fight through imaginary battles and pray to the dice gods for good rolls. Yes, it's an epic, sweeping adventure. We try to fulfill our destinies without driving the Dungeon Master crazy. I thought that was the point. Anyways, check us out here on newradiomedia.com, Fridays, Podquesters. See you there. And we're back, and we're joined by Joe Sabrin, author of We Dare to Live, A Tale of Courage and Survival, based on the memoir of Abrish Shabrinsky, if I pronounce that right. Joe, are you still with us? Say it again? (laughs) Say it again. Abrasha. 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 If that alone, I learned something today. That's fantastic. Here's something that I found fascinating in the book. Um, I'm going to ask it to you as a question, and then we'll we'll see how it went. Um, when when let's say the these Jewish probably they were teenagers, maybe a little older, when they're escaping from Vilna and they're crawling through the sewers and they're getting into the forest and they meet up with the partisans. In general, did you have a feeling if these, whether they were Poles or, or Russians, were they accepting of anybody Jewish who wanted to join their ranks, or there was a lot of anti-Semitism and maybe even a lot of murders there also? Uh, I mean, from what you know, from from the conversations, that, like brief conversations I had with my father, it was basically anyone that wanted to fight the Nazis. And, you know, there was, a, you know, in the, in, in the book, there was a couple of incidents where my father felt 
that they were anti-Semitic, and you know, and, and they hated what the, you know what, mo- and mo- most of them, I would say, ninety percent were Jewish. You know, if not more, there was you know, I'm sure there was some Russian Russians inter- intertwined from the Russian army. Uh, you know, probably some people that you know were uh, were, were Polish, but. It was only a band of 120 that he had. You know, he had 89 men and 31 women. I did ask um, uh, Joseph Hamatz, who I spoke to in Tel Aviv, who was one of his fighters. He was very young, you know, when he joined. And I said, where was my mother during all this? Because she never told me anything. Yeah, she's not in the book, I don't think. No, because she was afraid that, you know, my father would say that she did nothing. But it turns out she did it, you know, toward the end. She stayed in the ghetto. Toward the end, she came to the forest somehow. I don't know how, but she helped with, you know, wounds and cooking and and whatever. You know, and there were probably other women as well. But, you know, you know, as I said earlier, I'm thankful that my dad at least, you know, gave us enough meat and potatoes to understand what was going on with him. And, and there were other partisans as well. I mean, if you, you know, if you look through all the annals. I mean, the Bielski brothers had a movie made about them. Right, there's all kinds of stories, and I guess I wasn't clear. Your father, who actually had been a soldier in the Polish army earlier, so he had army right. training. He had a whole, I'll call it a unit, because I don't know all the correct terms, as you said, about right. 120 people that he was responsible for. Um, in the book, it talks about four different groups, at least four different groups, and I was always under the impression that many of the partisans in different forests were not kind to Jews. Now, if you walked in with a machine gun, so then you were fine. But if you just came in as a straggler and they thought you were going to be a burden, um, they just threw you out. They were not. They weren't. I mean, again, maybe they couldn't. But generally in the forest, you're trying to survive and you're not supporting hundreds, thousands of people who can't take care of themselves. Which actually well, there weren't that many. Him. I mean, you know, most you know, most most of the people were not like, you know, my dad and Abba Kovner and you know, and all the other, you know, fighters that were with him. I mean, they just, you know, they were just not trained as they they had nothing in their, you know. I I befriended a gentleman as well uh, who who wrote a book about his dad, who was the gatekeeper. My father mentions him once in the Vilna Ghetto. I mean, right. there were people who just said, "I'm going to do what I can to survive." But not by not fighting, which uh, I mean and would the have ones been. Ones that wanted to fight, you know, got together and uh, you know fought, and they they did whatever they could. I mean, you know, my dad mentions a few of the good people he lost because they just you know you can't you couldn't protect everybody. It's like the movie Defiance. There's a movie from 2008 about exactly that. Oh really? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Oh, see. Pop culture is not my thing. That's why I have R.D. here. He, <laughs> he keeps me in line. So one of the yeah. things in the book, which is fascinating, since your father has this unit of 120 people under him, it's not just blowing up uh, trains and, and cutting wires or ambushing trucks to get, to, to get stuff. You have to feed these people. You have to actually have clothes and food and a place to survive the winter. I mean, this is not just a little responsibility. No, I mean they 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 figured out who was going to, you know, go find the food from the Polish, you know, farmers. I mean, um, some of them were receptive, and some of them had to be, you know, 
have a gun pointed to him to uh, you know to them to 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 allow the partisans to bring back food to the uh, you know to, to the fighters. You right. Know, you know, it's like when I was in the army, uh, we called it a midnight requisition. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but you also didn't have to uh, destroy a village to prove a point just because you wanted no. to. Uh, right. That's for sure. No. Um, I don't know if you would even know this. What was your father's feeling like? Those who could fight, and your father actually writes in the book that you know anybody who wanted, if you got him a gun, they knew how to fight. But what was your father's feeling towards those? 60,000 and 30,000 and 20,000, all the people that did not want to escape, that were maybe afraid to go. Um, what was your father's feelings towards those people, those other Jews who he felt weren't taking care of themselves? Well, you know, I, I don't think they had the where to all to, to do that. You know, you know it, it, it was instinctive. You know, certain people just you know, I mean, Joseph Hamatz, who just passed away, he, he was all of 15, 16 years old when he fought with my father. It was, you know, it was, it was the people that, you know, he lived to be, you know, I guess almost 100. Wow. Or maybe in his 90s. I haven't found any of his children or grandchildren. I'm going to keep looking. Uh, but I don't think people had the understanding of what it was to fight. It was, you know, they were never in a fight. You know, my dad was in the Russian army. He was in the Polish army. So he knew how to fight. Right, right. He had that training, and they did not. But your father writes a and, lot and, of Jews and, and, and in that training. He, he, you know, the, the picture on the, on the front cover is him training two, two recruits. Oh, which one is your father on the picture? In the middle. Your father's in the middle. because we... with the sub, sub, submachine gun. Yes, I wouldn't even know what it was, but oh, wow. Oh, so that's your father. Amazing. Okay, so he, as we're he, wrapping up my... How, you know, he's teaching him how to shoot. I mean, it's a nice picture in the middle of nowhere, but okay. They probably cut yeah. out all this stuff. Um, so I, I know you have an organization now called We Dared to Live Organization. What are you trying to yeah. do with this organization? Well, besides giving a... I already give, have given out close to 20 books to Bar and Bar Mitzvah, children of basically of friends and family. Uh, and we joined a, uh, not that I wanted to, but we joined a, a synagogue here in uh, Boca Raton called B'nai Israel. It's, it's reformed, however, it has a huge population of children between uh, kindergarten, preschool and high school. There's over 500 kids. Oh, wow. Which is a big... And they and they're well endowed, and they they really like the story, and they really want. And the ironic part about it is, they've never really focused on Holocaust education, which we're also putting together. There's a young lady who is uh, in her third year as the lead Holocaust educator in Palm Beach County. She took the book, read it, and just and she asked me, we you know over lunch or brunch, she says, can I put together a curriculum with with the book? as the focus of, of, of what should be, of, of what children should know. You know, starting with 11, you know, uh, kids from 11 years on. That's, that's about the age. Uh, and I did meet a young man whose wife has been teaching at B'nai Israel for 20 years, and he's, he's, he, was, he was annoyed that they haven't put together a Holocaust education program. And only five states in the Union teach Holocaust studies. 
Well, no, it's, and there are it's, a lot of people that are trying to do it, but but not pushing as hard as they should. It's which, beautiful. You know, they haven't met me yet. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. Have you got? And I, I know here in Detroit, the Holocaust Center, we we interviewed some of their people a couple weeks ago. They're very involved in curriculums and public schools and stuff. Um, are you trying to get your stuff into the Holocaust centers? Because it is an easy read for children instead of some of the older books that may be just too much for people to read. Well, we so far the one at uh, I've given a book to a gentleman who I forget his name right now. He started the Holocaust education at uh, in Fort Lauderdale at one at Nova University. He pulled it out. He's Canadian. I gave him a book. The problem that we have today is everybody's so busy. <laughs> yes, very busy. Very busy. And now that I'm retired, you know, I started this project 17 years ago, it basically will launch heavy come the first of the year. You know, I'm gonna, if I have to put my own money into this, I've gotten some donations, not as many as I would like. You know, the only one I wrote back so far was... Uh, Bill Gates from the uh, Gates Foundation and uh, the people that started Carnival, because they're right down here and they're also in Israel. Unless you're asking for millions, you're not going to get it, because I decided that I didn't want to be a nonprofit that would raise millions. It's much easier just to raise $50,000 a year, and I can get a lot done with that, than uh, so far today, it's been all of my own uh, personal money, from getting the book published to, to paying the a writer that helped me to pay the uh, you know, translator. So, uh, you know, even Geffen Publishing in Jerusalem, uh, you know, is, is starting to cooperate a little bit, but they didn't give me, you know, the full details of what, you know, self-publishing is. You know, they're the publisher, but they haven't done anything to help me at all. It's fantastic. If somebody wants to get a copy of the book, what would they do? They would go to the website, www.wedaretolive.org, and they can buy one copy and one will be donated for $18, or they can buy uh, one copy for $180, and five will be donated to uh, to, uh, to, to Bar by Mr. Children. Actually, so far, my synagogue, I think, has 12 this year, and there are about a half a dozen. And, and basically, the, 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 the results will be, if it works at B'nai Israel, it'll work at every synagogue across North America. And in the world, it's a great Once idea. The program is I in love place, it. You know, it's it's like anything else. You've got to prove the concept before you can roll it out. It's beautiful. I think. I, it, I mean, I'm hoping it'll be well accepted. I think for children, it's a because it, it's it's not a large book. It's easy. Children are more excited about partisans than they are about hearing people in concentration right. camps. But this at least can open their minds, a window into what happened uh, back mostly in Vilna and in the forest and the partisans. Um, Joe, I really, really appreciate the time. I'm up against my break. I thank you so much for joining us, and um, I hope the program is very successful and we'll be in touch. I'll keep you posted, and you know, let me get, and have you, get me in touch with your son. I'd like to meet him. It'll be my thank pleasure. Thank you again for your time. Joe, be you well. Guys. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Okay. Bye. That was a nice interview. We learned about the book. It's really all about partisans. It's what they went through. It's, it's, a, it's an easy read. Again, we dared to live, I guess, dot com. 
And there goes my music. And we're three segments in, one to go. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Jonas and Goldson and his under two-minute uh, whatever he has to say to us. And then we'll wrap up our show with the word of the week. So hold on, and we'll be right back. Maple Lane Golf Club is a 54-hole golfing treasure located in the heart of Sterling Heights. Maple Lane Golf Club offers immaculate greens, a top-flight pro shop, and inexpensive green fees. For convenience, book your tee time online at maplelanegolf.com. Come out and enjoy a great golf experience. Try our 9 and Dine special, 9 holes of golf, and enjoy food and refreshments in the Clubhouse Bistro. That's Maple Lane Golf Club in Sterling Heights. Check us out at maplelanegolf.com. At Murray's Park City, we're known for offering customer service you won't get in any chain store or online. But don't take it from me, just listen to what our customers have to say. The employees at Murray's are knowledgeable, courteous. They make you feel like you're at home. Pick up a can of Seafoam Fuel System Treatment for only $6.99 or a 5-quart container of Mobile One Motor Oil for just $28.95. Murray's Park City and Pontiac Trail at Maple Road in Wald Lake. We've got the parts you need when you need them. Plus, the latest LiftMaster garage door openers and the toughest retractable screens on the market, all by the push of a button. Tarno Doors is celebrating its 50th year anniversary and is the recipient of the 2016 Subcontractor of the Year from the Home Builders Association. Tarno knows doors. Tarno knows doors. Do you want to see things like this? You just said you died? <laughs> <laughs> well. I mean, technically. Or maybe even something like this. We'll do nothing but destroy your corpses and burn them all for my dogs. Your dogs are gone. And sometimes, a little of this. We need to have a talk. <laughs> I take my axe and I smash it. No! <laughs> and check out Podquesters, the show where we tackle ghoulish goblins, fiendish foes, and dangerous tricks. Oh, like the singer? No, the dragon creature. Oh. Anyways, Podquesters, Fridays, only on NewRadioMedia.com. Cause I'm all about that roach, about that roach, And we're back. I hope you enjoy that interview with Joe Sabrin. But now, after taking a one-week hiatus to prepare themselves for the high holidays, we are joined by Rabbi Yonason Goldson of Ethical Imperatives. Yonason, how are you today? Yonason, are you there? Oh, okay. Just didn't. Maybe my mic was down. Okay, there we go. So, uh, did the preparations go well? Yeah, Baruch Hashem. Uh, things went well. I hope we'll find out in a year, right? <laughs> yes, I, I guess we will find out in a year how your preparations went. Well said. As always, Anderson, the clock is ticking. Go for it. All right. Well, this year, September 11th, coincided with the second day of Rosh Hashanah. This offered us an additional reminder of how life and history rarely unfold the way we expect them to. On Rosh Hashanah, and again on Yom Kippur, our prayers reach a crescendo as we reflect that during these days it will be inscribed who will live and who will die, who by water, who by fire, who by storm and who by plague, who will have peace and who will suffer, who will be cast down and who will be exalted. What does it tell us that Rosh Hashanah is called the Day of Judgment? It tells us that everything we do matters. Even the smallest, most trivial-seeming action can change the world. What we do, what we say, and what we think make a difference. Our words, thoughts, and actions are all in our control, and their quality 
defines us as Jews and as human beings. Ironically, one of the most overarching values in America today is non-judgmentalism. The Torah teaches us to always give the benefit of the doubt, never rush to judgment. But if we don't recognize evil and differentiate it from good, we end up embracing the kind of moral anarchy responsible for replacing political leadership with schoolyard bickering and political passion with wanton terrorism. The Almighty has given us this priceless gift of a high holiday season so we can judge ourselves, to hold ourselves responsible for all our shortcomings and resolve to set the bar higher for the coming year. By expecting more from ourselves, we spread the light of wisdom, virtue, and peace throughout the world, which is ultimately the reason for our existence. I wish you a Shana Tova. Yonison, you get better each week. Thank you so much. A Gemach Simetova, and uh, hopefully we'll talk over the Sukkot holidays. Be well. Okay, be well, Zbertzvi. Okay, thank you. Okay, that was Rebjornison Gold, set of ethical imperatives. I'm telling you, I'm training in a superstar. Every week, he gets better. I, 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 I love it. I hope you enjoy it, but since I like it, he's going to keep coming on. Okay, so... With Drew back there, I hope Drew hears me. We're ready for my poster. But I can't see through the reflection. What? That's Jake. Did I say Drew instead of Jake? Yeah, Drew's in the phone booth. Drew's in the phone book. Uh, Jake, I'm so sorry. I'm Mm. I'm getting that look. Mm. Probably Mm. that means he's happy to see me. But anyways, whenever Jake is ready, I'll get it right the last time. Don't worry. Okay, I got his thumb. Okay, we're ready for our next letter. We are up to the letter Lamed. Actually, the tallest largest letter, all L words, by the way, and that's an L-sounding letter. I actually teach my students um, when we're, you know, sometimes in the different fonts that exist in Hebrew, so the Lamed um, could be confused with other letters. So it has like a long neck that's looking around, so I teach the children that that L sound, the Lamed sound, is is the Lamed for looking, and this way they remember its numerical value is 30. And I figured it's just really timely that my word of the week is L'chaim. You've probably heard this phrase, L'chaim, which people say to life. When they have a drink with somebody, they'll say something like L'chaim, which means the drink should be, we should live. It's a blessing, really, the, where it really comes from is when the courts used to have to give a capital punishment. So um, the, when, they, when the person had to be executed, they actually gave him something to drink so he wouldn't feel all the pain. So, that, so therefore, when we're drinking, we're saying, this drink is not because you're about to be executed. This drink is for life. But obviously, it turned into nowadays just a friendly way of getting together. If you have drinks with somebody, by what we call a kiddish, if people have something to eat in synagogue, after the prayers, during the prayers. So it's just a, a wonderful blessing that we wish everyone life. And that's really what the high holidays are all about, because we... Like the blessing I gave um, Rabbi Goldson before called Gemar Hasimatova means you should have uh, your year should be sealed for good. We, um, we ask for life. We want life. We want a good life. We want our friends to have a good life. That's this special word of L'chaim. Um, I don't even know how far I can get. I, I had some stories I was going to mention. I'll do one quick because that's all I got time for. Um, the famous Rabbi Akiva was uh, was walking and he was teaching Torah publicly. And when he was teaching Torah publicly at that time, there was a ban by the Romans. If you were to teach Torah publicly, 
you could be executed for it. So a man came to Rabbi Akiva and said, how are you teaching Torah publicly? Don't you know that your life is in danger? So Rabbi Akiva said, you know, there's a parable. There's a fox walking next to a river and he sees a fish and he tells the fish, says, you know, there's all these farmers, there's all these um, um, fishermen that have their nets. If you stay in the water, it's dangerous. Why don't you come out on land? It's much safer here. So the fish says to the fox, he says, you fool. Um, in the water is where I live. If where I live, it's dangerous, but at least I can live. But if I'm going to have to go ahead and go on the land, on the land I'll die. And Torah is our life. Again, that word, l'chaim, to life. And uh, Torah is our life. And the only way we're going to survive, Rabbi Akiva said, is to continue studying and teaching Torah. And it's certainly one of the things we try to do here every week. And as my time is winding down, certainly I want to wish all my friends, my listeners, everybody around that we should have a, a happy and healthy new year. We should have a good life. We should all be written down for life. And I have a whole group of people to thank this week. Um, of course, I couldn't do without my sponsors and listeners. I couldn't do without you. Thank you to my wonderful production team. New team this week. R.D., Jake, Drew, Alyssa. I hope I've left you with some food for thought. Until mm. next week, I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on New Radio Media. And until next week, don't forget to think about it.